Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 131. Today's big Bible question, what are the seraphim of Isaiah 6? Are they burning angels or serpentine guardians? So hello, everybody, and happy Friday to you. After a long and rambly coronavirus intro yesterday, today's intro is short. I would say short and sweet, but it's actually just short. I did want to give a shout out to my friend Jesse, who left a comment yesterday and said, I didn't see the video Set Your Eyes that you mentioned on the episode yesterday. I will go look for it on YouTube. Well, Jesse's right. I didn't see it there either, so I don't know what happened for those of you that were looking for the video, but you can go uh, to the page for episode number 130 yesterday at Bible Reading Podcast, and it is back. I added it back, so just go to Bible Reading Podcast and check out yesterday's episode 130, and you can see that awesome video for Set Your Eyes, or you can just go to YouTube and search for Set Your Eyes, and uh, I think it's one of the first results there. It's by uh, an artist called um, Full of Eyes, something like that, so two different kind of eyes there, Uh, but it's a great video, and you can find it through BibleReadingPodcast.com. Today's Bible readings include Numbers chapter 16, three different Psalms, Psalms 52, 53, 54, Isaiah chapter 6, and Hebrews chapter 13. Now, our focus passage is the famous throne room passage of Isaiah 6, in which Isaiah, in the year King Isaiah dies, sees God high and elevated on his throne, attended and accompanied by these mysterious creatures called seraphim, that only appear in one chapter in the entire Bible. So let's go read Isaiah 6 and then come back and discuss what exactly these beings might be. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundation of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he replied, Go. Say to these people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Then I said, Until when, Lord? And he replied, Until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled. The holy seed is the stump. So yeah, what a fascinating passage. 
For one, we get to we get some insight into the physical appearance of God, which was covered in depth in episode 69 of the podcast. That's actually, if it's not my favorite episode of this podcast so far, 131 episodes in, episode 69 is pretty close. I loved the research for that episode. It's one of the longest episodes we've had, but I absolutely loved going through the Bible and finding all the physical descriptions of God. You can check that out, uh, Bible Reading Podcast. Just search for episode 69. Anyway, God is often depicted in the midst of smoke and fire and accompanied by shaking and other sorts of marvels. It sounds absolutely terrifying to be in the presence of God, and obviously so. Often, there are various and sundry heavenly beings surrounding the throne, including the seraphim we see here. Fascinating creatures, these seraphim. They can fly, they can talk, they can stand. They have feet, they have six wings, a pair that covers their face, a pair that covers their feet, and a pair for flying. Now, I've been familiar with Isaiah 6 for a very long time, at least since I was a teenager, maybe before. I suspect, but don't remember for sure, that the pastor of the church I grew up in, who was Frank Barker at Briarwood Christian in Birmingham, Alabama, I think he referred often to this text because I was very familiar with it in my youth, and it was amongst the more interesting Bible passages out there, especially to, you know, a young kid. Uh, Pretty crazy stuff going on here. What do you picture when you picture the seraphim in this passage? What do these beings look like in your mind's eye? Well, I can tell you for me, almost my entire life, I just thought of them as, you know, six-winged angel-looking beings, pretty much human-looking creatures, probably dressed in white and having two big feathered wings on their back and a small set of you know, probably feathery-looking wings covering their faces and feet. Is that an actual, actual, accurate picture? Well, honestly, I have no idea. I've never seen a seraph. Uh, However, uh, by the way, seraph is singular. Seraphim is plural. So a bunch of seraphs is a seraphim. However, when you begin to study angels and demons from what the Bible actually teaches and not what is depicted in pop culture, sort of a different picture of these beings emerges. For one, angels don't actually have wings. At least no passage in the Bible indicates an angel has wings. Cherubim and seraphim do indeed have wings, but we nowhere see that cherubim or seraphim are described as angels. They seem to be separate, different classes of heavenly beings entirely. Maybe they're somehow some way related to angels, but also somehow different. Now, we're given quite a bit of information in Scripture about cherubim, including the very intriguing possibility in Ezekiel 28 that Satan himself was possibly a cherubim. Listen to this passage. I'm looking forward to covering it once we get to Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 12, I'm sorry, 28, 12 through 15. It's God giving a prophecy to the, quote, king of Tyre, But at some point, it sounds like God is not talking about a human king anymore when he says, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone covered you, carnelian, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created. You were an anointed guardian cherub, for I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. 
You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound anything at all like a human king. I mean, walking in the fiery stones of the mountain of God, blameless in their ways, the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. I don't think that's God describing a human being much less a pagan king. It doesn't doesn't sound like that. So I think that's a, I and a lot of others, a lot of scholars think that that is a description of Satan. If it is, it tells us that Satan was originally some sort of cherub. And it's a fascinating passage, Ezekiel 28, but it really tells us next to nothing about seraphim. Well, what are they? Other than the brief Isaiah 6 description of these beings, Literally, the only other thing we can know from the Bible about seraphim comes from the etymology of their name. Unfortunately, this is where our mystery deepens because, based on the name, many scholars believe that seraphim could be one or the other of two very different things. Either burning, smoking, fiery, heavenly beings with wings, or sort of like cobra-like, serpentine-legged, reptilian sort of beings. And no, I'm not joking about that. The trouble is that the name seraphim probably came from either the Hebrew verb seraph or the Hebrew noun seraph. You say, well, duh. The thing is, though, the Hebrew verb seraph means burning, Um, you know, fiery, burning, that sort of thing. But the Hebrew noun seraph indicates a venomous snake-like creature. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, how could that be? Well, it's probably because the venomous, uh, the venom of a adder or a serpent burns when it's injected. So, which is it? Unfortunately, we don't know from the Bible because the Bible doesn't tell us. But I do want to turn to an expert in the field Dr. Michael Heiser is the Logos Scholar-in-Residence. He is an excellent Old Testament scholar. He is a a scholar of angels, as it were. And I don't agree with Dr. Heiser on everything. Some of his views are, uh, a a lot of his views are just honestly quite fascinating and very interesting and intriguing. Some of them might be a little out there, but I'll just be honest with you, I've learned a lot from Dr. Heiser, and I hold him in a pretty high amount of respect. And this is what he writes about this issue of who were the seraphim. A number of passages in the Bible utilize the concept of fire in depicting the presence of God. Among the most familiar is Genesis 3.24, where Yahweh stations cherubim with flaming swords at the entrance to Eden to ensure that the fallen Adam and Eve do not re-enter. In non-biblical portrayals of divine presence, and for instance the tablets from Ugarit, Fiery messengers guard the divine presence. In Isaiah 6, fiery guardians, seraphim, are present in the throne room of God. The word seraphim derives from either the noun seraph, which means serpent, uh, very similar to the Egyptian word S-E-R-A-F, or it comes from the verb seraph, which means to burn. The two meanings likely overlap in Isaiah 6. King Hezekiah's relationship with Egypt, which coincided with Isaiah's ministry, influenced the royal iconography during Hezekiah's reign. Seraphim may therefore refer to a cobra and its burning venom. 
because Egyptians considered cobras to be divine guardians. Psalms 104.4 also refers to fiery ministers in Yahweh's presence. That's a pretty strong point there. Aside from fiery beings, says Heiser, many biblical passages describe both Yahweh's throne room and presence as fiery and full of smoke. In Exodus 3, Yahweh appears to Moses in a burning bush. After the Israelite people have left Egypt, the divine presence moves with them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. Yahweh at one point descends on Mount Sinai in fire and smoke. That's Exodus 19. Other passages create the impression that fire is a sort of stock image in describing the appearance of Yahweh. Deuteronomy 4.36, Psalm 144.5, 2 Samuel 22.7-13. At times, a rushing or stormy wind accompanies the fire imagery. Ezekiel 1.4, Isaiah 28.2, 29.6, 30.27-30, Psalms 50 verse 3, and Hebrews 12.18. Other passages describe God himself as a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, Deuteronomy 9.3, Hebrews 12.29, which we read yesterday. And Yahweh uses fiery bursts and lightning bolts as weapons against his enemies. According to Joshua 10.11, Psalms 18.7-14, 21.9, Samuel 22.13-15, and Isaiah 30.30. This imagery carried into the New Testament, most prominently in the events of Pentecost in Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came up from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And divided tongues like fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak out. The stormy aura of a violent rushing wind, says Heiser, accompanied by flaming tongues, indicates that the gathered disciples are now in the divine presence. The throne room of God has come to them. This fire is associated with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. As with other prophetic figures, the apostles are commissioned in the divine presence by the divine presence. So, Heiser doesn't tip his hand here as to what his best guess on seraphim is, whether they're snake-like beings or reptilian beings or burning heavenly beings, but he actually does in his book, The Unseen Realm. And in that book, he says, the seraphim of Isaiah 6 and 2 and 6 and 6 that attend Yahweh's throne may also have been fiery beings if the noun derives from the verb seraph to burn, but it is more likely that seraphim derives from the Hebrew noun seraph, which means serpent, which in turn is drawn from the Egyptian throne guardian terminology and conceptions. If that is the case, Egyptian imagery relating to the divine throne guardians also includes fire. So, can it be that the throne of God is attended and protected in some way or fashion by heavenly and flying snake-like beings or dragon-like beings, flying dragon-like things? It's possible, but I would say that I'm about 50-50. 50-50. Well, really, I'm maybe 60-40 in favor of seraphim being heavenly flying creatures that are somehow burning with something that resembles fire. I don't know that they're serpentine. My best guess is they're not, but obviously it's all it is. It's a guess. 
My only reason for leaning in this direction is because of the astonishing prevalence of fire in so many of the narratives of the appearance of God in the Old and New Testament, and these narratives that describe the setting of the throne room of God, and it's there's always fire and smoking things there. And of all of those narratives, there's none that definitively describe in any sort of serpentine being or reptilian type being in relation to God. There's also the feet thing, although, you know, you had to give that very little weight. Snakes don't have feet, of course, but I do believe that Satan, the tempter in the Garden of Eden, did have feet before he was cursed. So the being, uh, and I, you know, I believe Satan manifested as some sort of reptilian being, um, and Satan is called a dragon in Revelation 12. So I think it's safe to assume that Satan manifested to Adam and Eve as a dragon-like being. So uh, that means, I suppose, that heavenly beings could be dragon-like, and it means, I suppose, that the seraphim could be flying dragon-like creatures. But I sort of feel like uh, I sort of feel like Isaiah would have told us that. But again, it's only a guess uh, based on what the Bible says. We don't know, uh, but it's very possible that these beings were serpentine, dragon-like. I suspect they were merely burning heavenly beings that probably resembled us in some ways, but far more glorious and covered with wings, etc. But honestly, it's a mystery, one of many that I look forward to learning personally in heaven. Well, let's read some more scripture. Numbers chapter 16, verse 1. Now Korah, son of Itzar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders of the community and representatives in the assembly, and they rebelled against Moses. They came together against Moses and Aaron and told them, You have gone too far. Everyone in the entire community is holy and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will reveal who belongs to him, who is set apart, and the one he will let come near him. He will let the one he chooses come near him. Korah, you and all your followers are to do this. Take fire pans and tomorrow place fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord. Then the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is set apart. It is you Levites who have gone too far. Moses also told Korah, Now listen, Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the Israelite community to bring you near to himself, to perform the work at the Lord's tabernacle, and to stand before the community to minister to them? He has brought you near and all your fellow Levites who are with you, but you are pursuing the priesthood as well. Therefore, it is you and all your followers who have conspired against the Lord. As for Aaron, who is he that you should complain about him? Moses sent for Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come. Is it not enough that you brought us up from a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Do you also have to appoint yourself as ruler over us? Furthermore, you didn't bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? We will not come. Then Moses became angry and said to the Lord, Don't respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them or mistreated a single one of them. So Moses told Korah, 
You and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you, they, and Aaron. Each of you is to take his firepan, place incense on it, and present his firepan before the Lord, two hundred and fifty firepans. You and Aaron are each to present your firepan also. Each man took his firepan, placed fire in it, put incense on it, and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting along with Moses and Aaron. After Korah assembled the whole community against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this community, so I may consume them instantly. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and said, God, God who gives breath to all, when one man sins, will you vent your wrath on the whole community? The Lord replied to Moses, Tell the community, get away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the community, Get away now from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them, or you will be swept away because all of their sins. So they took they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Meanwhile, Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the entrance of their tents with their wives, children, and infants. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord sent me to do all these things, and it was not of my own will. If these men die naturally, as all people would, and suffer the fate of all, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something unprecedented and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them along with all that belongs to them so that they go down into Sheol alive, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. Just as he finished speaking all these words, the ground beneath them split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them in their households, all Korah's people and all their possessions. They went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them. The earth closed over them, and they vanished from the assembly. At their cries, all the people of Israel who were around them fled, because they thought, The earth may swallow us too. Fire also came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were presenting the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to remove the firepans from the burning debris, because they are holy and scatter the fire away. As for the firepans of those who sinned at the cost of their own lives, make them into hammered sheets as plating for the altar, for they presented them before the Lord, and the firepans are holy. They will be assigned to the Israelites. So the priest Eleazar took the bronze firepans that those who were burned had presented, and they were hammered into plating for the altar, just as the Lord commanded him through Moses. It was to be a reminder for the Israelites that no unauthorized person outside the lineage of Aaron should approach to offer incense before the Lord and become like Korah and his followers. The next day, the entire Israelite community complained about Moses and Aaron, saying, You've killed the Lord's people. When the community assembled against them, Moses and Aaron turned toward the tent of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the Lord's glory appeared. Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this community so that I may consume them instantly. But they fell face down. Then Moses told Aaron, Take your fire pan, place fire from the altar in it, and add incense. Go quickly to the community and make atonement for them, because wrath has come from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took his fire pan as Moses had ordered, 
ran into the middle of the assembly and saw that the plague had begun among the people, and he added incense, he made atonement for the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was halted. But those who died from the plague numbered 14,700, in addition to those who died because of the Korah incident. Aaron then returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting, since the plague had been halted. Psalm chapter 52. Why boast about evil, you hero? God's faithful love is constant, like a sharpened razor. Your tongue devises destruction, working treachery. You love evil instead of good, lying instead of speaking truthfully. Selah. You love any words that destroy you treacherous tongue. This is why God will bring you down forever. He will take you, ripping you out of your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous will see and fear, and they will derisively say about that hero, Here is the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, taking refuge in his destructive behavior. But I am like a flourishing olive tree in the house of God. I trust in God's faithful love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done in the presence of your faithful people. I will put my hope in your name, for it is good. Psalm chapter 53 verse 1 The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and they do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there's one who's wise, one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers ever never understand? They consume my people as they consume bread. They do not call on God. Then they will be filled with dread, dread like no other because God will scatter the bones of those who besiege you. You will put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that Israel's deliverance would come from Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Psalm chapter 54. God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. God, hear my prayer. Listen to the words from my mouth, for strangers rise up against me and violent men intend to kill me. They do not let God guide them, Selah. God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my life. He will repay my adversaries for their evil. Because of your faithfulness, annihilate them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, because it is good. For he has rescued me from every trouble, and my eye has looked down on my enemies. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, For it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. 
For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here, instead we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. And grace indeed be with you all, my friends. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Godspeed.